voiceamerica.com. Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Positive I'm Patricia Raskin. This is the program that shows you how to turn your obstacles into opportunities, your problems into solutions, and how to make your dreams come true. And every week we interview amazing people that really will help you to work through the issues in your life. Today we have a great show. We're talking about health care. And as you know, we have many challenges, and we're talking about some of the challenges and some of the solutions as well that will really help you, and that's what we're really trying to do here. If you are listening live, and today is February the 23rd, if you're listening live today on Monday between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern and between 11 and 12 or 11 and noon Pacific, then do give us a call at 866-462-5788. And, again, you can log on to RaskinResources.com or PatriciaRaskin.com and get on my email list, and I'd love to send you my newsletter and my blog, and I have other radio shows as well. Today, again, we're talking about health care. My guest is Sally Pipes. She's the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Pacific Research Institute, a San Francisco-based think tank founded in 1979. Before becoming President in 1991, She was assistant director to the Fraser Institute based in Vancouver, Canada. She's been on many of the national and international programs and has written regular columns for many newspapers nationally. Welcome, Sally Pipes. Thank you for having me on. Great. Your book is the Top Ten Myths of American Healthcare, a Citizen's Guide. And some of the things you have in the front here, and here are the things that uh, we're complaining about. We're spending too much on healthcare. Important, importing drugs would reduce health care costs. 46 million Americans can't get health care. Government health care is more efficient. High drug prices drive up health care costs. I mean, these are all of the comments that we hear, and, uh, and some of them are also myths. So let's talk about um, the first myth, which is government health care is more efficient. Yes, well, I think, um, Patricia, we'll just take a step back quickly and say, that, you know, health care reform is on the top of uh, Mr. Obama's agenda, and he said he would do something within 100 days. And he's got a lot of other issues that he's focusing on, but I think there is a concerted effort within the new administration to do health care reform. But we need to sort of step back and look um, what are the um, – I think everyone would agree that we need affordable, accessible, quality health care for all Americans. The question yes. is how do we achieve that goal, and there are two competing visions – uh, one which relies on market-based solutions, empowering doctors and patients, and um, encouraging innovation through new drugs, biologics, and medical devices. The other vision focuses on increasing the role of government through mandates, subsidies, and taxes, and that, that is the role that the, that is the vision that the Obama administration is following. So I just wanted to use that to set the scene um, before we talk about, you know, the, the myths, and, and, and then the first one is that government health care is more efficient. Um, you know, we hear that a lot. Um, um, you know, you hear that Medicare has lower administrative costs than people who get private um, insurance. And the, question, and the issue is, though, that when you analyze 
the administrative costs within Medicare. There are a lot of things that are not included, including doctors' times, time at filling out forms. Mm-hmm. The cost. There's all kinds of things. So, in fact, if, if the private sector spends about 18% on admin costs, Medicare might spend, you know, 16%. But the issue is, does government provide anything more efficiently than the private sector? I mean, let's, you know, if, if you ask people, you know, do you think the post office is efficient? Do you think that the Department of Motor Vehicles is efficient? All of these areas where government has been involved, you have to stand in line. And it's the same, you know, in, in healthcare. I'm Canadian. I'm, I'm an American now, but I grew up in Canada under a government-run, totally government-run healthcare system. And, you know, when, we'll talk about this under, under, under global budgets and things, but when government controls it, they only have so much money to spend. And so it's not efficient if you have to wait on a long line in order to get an appointment with a doctor or to get medical care. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and, and that's the issue is that we are waiting in line, and, uh, and it's difficult. And also the issue, Sally, is many times there's so much red tape, and that's a difficult thing to get through. Well, exactly. And, you know, um, there's a, you know today in, in America, one in three new senior citizens is having trouble getting a primary care doctor. And the question is, why? Well, it's because a lot of docs today are not taking uh, Medicare patients because the reimbursement rates from, go- from government are so low, plus the red tape of having to, you know, look at the 8,000 codes and deciding, you know, what you're going to code this procedure or this treatment to. We also, you know, have problems in the private sector, you know, with third-party payers. We have two third-party payers in this country. One is the government through Medicare, Medicaid, S-CHIP and the VA, and the other is, you know, our, our private insurers. And, mm-hmm. and insurers have a lot of, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of red tape as well because of mandates and regulations that insurers have to deal with. And so, you know, it, 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 it takes away the relationship between the doctor and the patient. Which is very, very important. It is, and I it's think, the most I think my thing. question to you is how do we, you know, we're starting to get that back in some places. I mean, in medical schools, uh, students and, and medical students are being taught how to be more compassionate. They're writing their journal and they're doing that narrative medicine. But in terms of the human aspect, can you address that? Well, I think that, you know, a, a lot, most people that go into medicine go in because they want to follow the Hippocratic Oath and first do no harm. Um, it's interesting in the med schools today how um, the, um, the, 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 the pressure on, you know, pushing towards a single-payer healthcare system is really, that is what is really taught in the medical schools today, that the docs at the teaching hospitals and docs that are teaching in the medical schools are people are docs who are not in the private sector, and they seem to be pushing um, single payer healthcare because they think it would be more efficient and cheaper. They don't talk about the impact that that has when government, as it does in Canada, sets your wage as a doctor. You're ostensibly a union member, and therefore it discourages people from from going into medicine, in particular if they can't practice the type of medicine mm-hmm. that they want. So we want to keep the market operating so that the best and brightest will continue to go into medicine and that we can also have a, an environment where, um, y- you know, we, we do research and development on, on, on pharmaceuticals and biologics and new cancer and um, protease inhibitor drugs for AIDS patients and things. But, you know, when government takes it over, you know, in a single-payer type system such as exists in Canada and, and to some extent in the U.K., they have some private health care that runs parallel, um, you destroy the incentive for bright young people to go into medicine. Mm-hmm. 
Well, let's go back then. Let's look at number one, I mean, along that line, um, let's take a look at myth number one, which uh, which we talked about, government health care is more efficient. We're saying that it isn't, but we are, Sally, spending too much on health care, and it, it's just it's tough for everybody. And even if people have deductibles, many times the deductibles have to be high because the premiums are so exorbitant if the deductibles are low. Well, you know, um, we, the, the, every time you pick up the newspaper or you listen to a debate on, on television, you, or on radio, um, you hear that we are spending too much money on health care in this country. And today in America, we're spending about 16% of our gross domestic product on health care. If you look at a country like Canada, which it's often compared to, Canada spends 10% of its GDP on health care. Now, I'm not sure whether 16% is too much. Maybe it's too little because Americans demand the very best in, in equipment and the best in procedures. Canada, on the other hand, spends 10% of its gross domestic product because when the government took over the health care system in the 1970s, um, when people think something is free, of course, Canadians are paying for it dearly through the tax system, but when they think it's free, they demanded a lot more of the health care system, and the government had to say, hold it, we can't, we can't afford this, and so they, they capped it at 10% of GDP. As a result, people in Canada sit on long waiting lists, the average wait, in Canada today, from seeing a primary care doctor to getting treatment by a specialist, is 17.3 weeks. That's mm. over four months. Mm. You have ration care where people who are older can't get access to mm. tests and So that's and not the answer either, Sally. Pardon me? That's not the answer either. Um, no, no, it's not. I'm just saying that, you know, I, one of the problems with, you know, we, we're spending 16% of GDP on health care, and I, I, as I say, I don't know if it's too much or it's too little, but, but we have in this country what we call first-dollar coverage. And because 64% of Americans get their health care through their employer, um, it, people think that, as you say, they have no copay or they pay a copay of $10, $20, $30, and maybe their premium is totally covered by their employer, or maybe they pay, you know, a certain amount, pay half or 30%. But when people think something is inexpensive, they use a lot more, and that contributes to um, increasing the cost of, of health care in this country. And um, we don't. And people who get their insurance through their employer, of course, are getting their insurance with, um, with pre-tax dollars. They don't pay tax on the value of that health care mm-hmm. plan that's, that's, that's provided for them. But then if you lose your job or you quit your job, and particularly in an economy like this where a lot of companies are laying people off because health care is tied to your employer, it's not portable. And so then you go on COBRA, and some people, a lot of people don't take COBRA. I mean, perhaps now under this stimulus bill they will, but a lot of people, unless they have pre-existing conditions or a serious illness, a lot of them will not sign up for COBRA. So they go into the individual market, and the problem is that when you go into the individual market, you have to buy your health insurance with after-tax dollars. So we don't have a level playing field, you know, for the person that wants to get their own health care. All right. So if somebody's listening to this and they're saying, oh, so what do I do? Can you give us two or three concrete things that these people definitely can do right now? Right. Well, they can push their local um, congressman and their um, wherever they live to say, let's push the changing the IRS tax code so that people in, that need health insurance and um, can go out and get it 
with pre-tax dollars. Because if we do that, a lot more people will go into the individual market, and a lot of new companies, there will be much more competition in the insurance business. So, And insurance companies will come in and provide different types of insurance that deal with what, what individuals or their families want. So the biggest change to be made is to change that tax system, the IRS code. And, in fact, you know, government got us into this mess in the first place. You know, during World War II, when wage and price controls were in, as a way to get around not being able to offer wage increases, government said to employers, you can deduct the cost of your health expenses and we will allow you to provide health insurance tax-free to your employees. So government got us into this mess and we've got to make this tax change so that we can level that playing field. The second thing I think that's one of the most important things is we should allow people to buy insurance across state lines so that if you live in New York or New Jersey or Massachusetts, which has the most expensive insurance in this country because of guaranteed issue community right. rating. We're going to have to take a break, Sally. When we come back, we're going to talk more to Sally Pipes. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guest jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america hey dad what i can't get the ketchup bottle open Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Relationships with other people is the single most important reason that determines happiness, success, and quality in our lives. Are all of your relationships promoting happiness and harmony in your life? The Relationship Saver is here to help you. Join host Radimir, the author of the successful e-books The Relationship Saver and The Gameless Relationship. The Relationship Saver is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin, right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. And today we're talking about American health care, which we know we have a lot of issues to deal with, but we're going to talk about it from the positive standpoint. We're talking about the top ten myths of American health care, which is the name of the book of the author that I'm talking to today. My guest today is Sally Pipes, who's president and chief executive officer of the Pacific Research Institute, a San Francisco-based think tank founded in 1979. She's been addressing in national and international audiences on health care and women's issues in the economy for years. And what we're talking about today are, is a citizen's guide for the myths of health care. Welcome back, Sally. Thank you. All right, let's talk, um, let's go on to, we know we're spending too much, and we know that 46 million Americans can't get health care. So um, even though that's a myth, you're telling us that we can get health care. So let's go along that vein of 46 million Americans can't get health care. Yeah, that number, Patricia, is a number that comes out of the U.S. Census Bureau every year and it was down slightly in 2008 from 2007. But basically, over the last, um, um, you know, this many years, we, that, that unemployed, uh, um, uninsured number has been about 15% um, of our population because as the population grows, I mean, the number of uninsured has gone up, but it's about 15%. The question is, the Census Bureau um, says 46 million Americans have no health insurance, hence no health care. And when you, when you break that number down, it's interesting because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, 64% of Americans get their health care through their employer. If they lose their job, they're uninsured. And the Census Bureau, when they ask the question, have you at any point during the previous year been without health insurance, um, if you respond yes because you lost your job, even if you're without insurance for a week or a month, you're counted as part of the uninsured number. So that's an important point because a lot of these people are just between jobs, which is a problem with getting your insurance through your employer. The second mm-hmm. point is, of that 46 million, 14 million of them are people who are eligible for government programs that already exist, one being the state children's health insurance program and the other one being Medicaid. So for some reason, the government is not communicating to a certain segment of society that could be eligible for these programs. And, of course, um, the uh, President Obama has signed an expansion of SCHIP um, just a couple of weeks ago. So we have 14 million of that 46 million of people who are eligible for government programs and have not signed up. And then another 17 million of them are people who are earning over $50,000 a year mm-hmm. and do not have health insurance. The question is, well, why aren't they um, buying insurance? Well, what, um, about two-thirds of those people are pe- young people, people who are between the ages of 18 and 34. And they decide that, you know, they could buy health insurance, but why should they spend four to $500 a month on health insurance when, you know, they can go out and, and buy a car and pay four or $500 a month? We're, we're, they're the group that we call the invincibles, people that are young who say, well, I'm not going to get sick. Why should I waste money on health care? So we need to have health insurance that fits the needs of this group, which would be, you know, they want, they want a low deductible, and they want they want um, a pay a low premium, and they want to have um, a fairly high de- a high deductible to cover catastrophic events because that's what insurance should be all about. Okay. So, and we only have about eight million people who are chronically uninsured for two years or more, and those are the people that we need to take care of. All right. So what you're saying, what I'm hearing, is the picture isn't as bad as we are painting it. Right. I mean, you know, you have to you have to break down these numbers because people in Canada think when they hear 
46 million Americans do not have health insurance and do not have health care, they think, oh, my gosh, there are, you know, Canada has a, a total population of about 33 million. They say 46 million Americans, more than the population of our country, are born one day, they die 79.5 years later, and they've never had health care. And it's just not, not the case. And a lot of people, you know, and young people that don't have health insurance will go to, you know, an emergency room and pay out of pocket for a procedure. So not everybody, you know, that goes to the emergency room um, turns up and pushes the cost back on to those of us who have private insurance or to the hospital to cover to cover that cost out of their um So sure is, what can we do? Well, what can we do? Because I keep coming back to that. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we need to push, people need to push their congressmen to, to change, to get that tax code changed so that we can level the playing field. We need to also change the law so that people can buy insurance across state lines. Because if you live in New York or New Jersey or Massachusetts, which have about 40 mandates on every insurance plan, plus community rating and guaranteed issue, which means an insurer cannot discriminate based on age or a pre-existing condition. This makes insurance very expensive and why a lot of people don't buy it. So if you lived in New York or New Jersey, you might want to buy your insurance in, in Idaho or in Arizona because they might have the plan that best suits your family needs. So we shouldn't have a one-size-fits-all plan which, you know, which, which discriminates against people from getting insurance. And then we need to get the states to reduce the mandates and regulations. There are 1,900 mandates on insurance companies across this country. So that, you know, if you live in Massachusetts, one of the mandates is in vitro fertilization. It is one of the most expensive procedures. And why should a young man have to buy an insurance plan in Massachusetts that covers in vitro fertilization when, you know, he's probably not, he's not going to get pregnant. And, you know, if I want to buy a plan that has in vitro fertilization, I should be able to buy it. That's fine. But why should I make a lot of other young people pay for something that I want to use? All right. So, so what would be another recommendation that you would have besides talking to your congressman? Is there anything else that you think that we can do? Well, I think people need, need to, you know, go on talk radio like I'm doing and explain to people, you know, what's, what's going on. You know, back in 1993 when Hillary Care was um, on, on the agenda and, you know, there was a huge backlash when people found out what it would mean if Hillary Care became the law, what it would mean to their ability to choose their own doctor, what it would mean for a waiting list. You know, there were tremendous ads, the Harry and Louise ads. People, people got involved and said, hey, this is not what we want. So we mm-hmm. have to, you know, citizens need to get up and advocate, advocacy groups, doctors need to get out and start talking to their patients and, and talking on talk radio and saying, this is what it means for my ability to practice medicine and to give you the very best health care that you, that you can have. Let's talk a little bit about alternative health care. Well, I'm talking about acupuncture, massage, chiropractic, any of those. Well, th- those are all, you know, great, great, great things, and, and people should be able to choose what is, what is best for them. I mean, you know, not that long ago, doctors were very sort of, hesitant about acupuncture and alternative medicine. But now I think they're, they're realizing that, it, that these are good um, solutions to certain people's problems. And also it's, it's more cost efficient um, to, to use acupuncture and chiropractic and podiatry. You don't necessarily have to go to an orthopedic surgeon when massage therapy might work for your condition. Maybe in the long run you would have to have back surgery, but there's so much that can be done through alternative medicine that will cure people without having to have you know, expensive visits to primary care doctors and specialists. So I think, it, you know, we need all kinds of options, just like we have 
in our lives. We have all kinds of options when it comes to your phone service, uh, you know, what kind of computer you buy, where, where you bank, where you have your credit card. And, you know, 50, 47% of health care today in this country is in the hands of government, um, whether it's through Medicare for the elderly, Medicaid for the low-income people, the state children's health insurance plans, the VA system. You know, politicians are trying to take over that other 53%. And, you know, that is not what that's not going to be the American way. And we need to allow a thousand flowers to bloom, which includes, you know, alternative medicine and right. working towards prevention. Okay. All right. On that note, we're going to take a break. Um, we're going to take a break right now. So when we come back, we're talking to Sally Pipes, and her book is The Top Ten Myths of American Healthcare, A Citizen's Guide. And you can call in, folks, at 866-472-5787. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women, men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest wine to restaurants to meet top chefs and sommeliers, to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where women and wine angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women in Wine broadcast each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women in Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. I can take care of myself. I can make a peanut butter sandwich. I can brush my teeth and I can give myself a bath. I can walk home alone from school. I can pick dinner from the trash behind the deli. I can watch the baby for the whole weekend. I can keep a baseball bat by my bed just in case there's trouble. Don't worry about me. I can take care of myself. If you're in jail, who'll be there to take care of your family? Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. Looking for a good time? We've got a show that will give you a wild ride. This show will make you feel good. And it's not even bad for you. You need your time to let loose. It's time for a feel-good party. Pull up to the computer, mix yourself a drink, and turn up the speakers. Happy Hour is here. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's called the biggest radio show in the world. Hosted by international personality and pundit, Michael DeMarco. You don't know what's coming next. The biggest radio show in the world on Voice America. VoiceAmerica.com Hi. 
Hi, everybody. We are back. You are listening to Positive Living right here on VoiceAmerica.com, and I'm Patricia Raskin, and we have a very interesting program for you today. We're talking about health care and the myths of health care and what we can do about our health care. My guest is Sally Pipes, and Sally uh, is the president of and chief executive officer of Pacific Research Institute, a San Francisco-based think tank, and she is also addressing national and international audiences on health care and women's issues, and she writes regular columns for many, many newspapers. Welcome back, Sally. Thank you. Hey, let's take a look at um, you have all these myths, and let's, let's keep going here with some of the myths and some of the points that you make. Um, you talk about um, why more, when more coverage equals less coverage. What do you mean by that? When more coverage um, means less coverage, well, um, you know, if you, if you, I guess you would say that if, if everybody demands the very best and top coverage and everything be covered, you know, it becomes, it becomes very expensive. And as a result, you know, some people are going to have less coverage um, available to them. Um, but we want to, we want to make sure that people have the type of healthcare that suits, you know, their own needs. And, People come to America for health care from all over the world because people in America don't realize that if you live in a country like Canada or you live in Europe, you know, I had a cameo appearance in Michael Moore's movie, Sicko, um, mm. where he asked me, you know, what I thought of the Canadian health care. Um, actually, it was Bill O'Reilly asked me what I thought of the Canadian health care system, and I said I didn't like it because of ration care, waiting lists, and lack of access to the latest technology. And then um, Michael Moore took that clip from the O'Reilly Factor and said, Sally Pipes doesn't like Canadian health care, and he interviewed all these people mm. who love it. But, of course, these are people who've never had to use the Canadian health care system because people in Canada come to the United States and, and pay for their health care out of pocket because they're on a waiting list that's far too long in Canada, people that have to wait over four months to get an MRI if they think they might have a brain tumor. Um, you know, Silvio Berlusconi, the Prime Minister of Italy, I mean, when, when he was told he needed a heart pacemaker, if he believed what Michael Moore said, you know, he would have gone to London or, or to, to um, Rome or to Paris or Toronto, Canada, or Havana, Cuba, which is what, one of the places that Michael Moore said the health care is great. But instead mm. he came to the Cleveland Clinic here in America because we do have the best. So what we want to do is continue to allow you know, the system to thrive so that, you know, we can have the best doctors, we can have the best treatments. But as I said earlier, we have to, you know, make some changes, make, you know, change the tax code, allow people to buy insurance across state lines, make insurance portable, um, you know, um, and, and allow retail clinics to survive and to change the medical malpractice so that doctors who are OBGYNs and neurosurgeons, you know, a lot of them are getting out of the practice of medicine because, the cost of their medical malpractice insurance is so expensive. You know, they're saying, why, why should, you know, why should I practice medicine and, and be so subjected to these very high rates? I can't make money. And, um, you know, there's so many, you know, frivolous lawsuits. So, so we, there's a lot we can do. Um, but we, you know, we, we, we need to, you know, change the system so that we can put, uh, you know, move people away from getting their insurance through their employer. Because, you know, you don't get your car insurance your house insurance, your long-term care insurance, your dental insurance, your life insurance through, through your employer. And this was, as I said earlier, um, something that government got us into in the first place. And it's really distorted the health care system for a lot of Americans. Mm. Um, give us some things that you think 
that each of us can do in our own rights in order to stay healthy so that we, you know, can be a little more proactive. Well, you know, we keep hearing in this country that Americans are not healthy and that the government needs to, you know, mandate wellness and prevention programs. And, you know, it's very hard for government to mandate anything. When government tells you to do something, you know, you have to want to do it yourself. And so, you know, I like to say that we need to promote individual responsibility because if the government tells Joe Smith that he can't smoke or he can't eat hamburgers, he's going to do it anyway, whether the government tells him or not, and it's going to be ex- he's going to be an expensive burden on the health care system. But we have to make people individually responsible. And, in fact, in this country, you know, when you hear we don't have prevention, we don't engage in wellness, compared to other countries, we engage in a lot of of wellness and prevention. And, you know, if you live in America, you know, women are encouraged, you know, at a certain age to get a pap smear every year. They're encouraged after 35 to get a mammogram. You know, when you turn 50, my doctor said, you know, you need to get a colonoscopy. And I said, a colonoscopy? Why should I get a colonoscopy? There's nothing wrong with me. Mm. And he said, well, you know, we like to, we like to get a, um, um, a point for people so that, we can, so that we can monitor it. I mean, in Canada, you would get a colonoscopy, you know, if you're hemorrhaging from your bowel, but they don't have it as part of routine preventative care. So we need to encourage people to think about how they eat, what they eat. But, you know, if you tell people, particularly people on Medica- Medicaid, that they, you know, that, you know, they can't eat, um, uh, burgers and fries and things. They're going to eat them until they want to change their own mind about how they're going to eat. And if you look at the yeah. cost of good food, healthy food, it's, it's the same price as buying a hamburger. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think, you know, eating, um, a vegetable salad is nearly as delicious as having a delicious hamburger. But, you know, you can have it occasionally. But, but people that live on junk food, you know, are going to harm their health. And we have to, get them interested in taking care of their health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everything you're saying, I mean, you're very strong in what you're saying, but it speaks to a lot of things that we're already doing right in our country. Right. Yeah, well, we are doing a lot of things right, but as I say, we, you know, this whole issue in, in, a, in a recession when, you know, people are losing their jobs and losing their health, their health insurance, and then you pick up the newspaper and, sa- and it says, you know, the government needs to get more involved because so-and-so lost their job and they don't have health care. Therefore, you know, under the stimulus bill, you would pay 35% of premium and the government's going to pay 65% of premium. If we can make these changes to put people back in charge of their health care, empower doctors and patients, health savings accounts are a wonderful way for people to get control. Talk about that. Let's spend some time talking about a health savings account. Right now, health savings account. Um, came into being in January 2004. They were part of the Medicare Modernization Act. You know, Medicare Part D was a big part of that program, the um, prescription drug program for seniors. But HSAs were part of that plan, and they are um, health savings accounts. You set up a health savings account, and you put money into it each month from your own money or money you get from your employer, depending on, you know, where you work and what kind you have. Mm -hmm. That money accumulates in your HSA um, year over year, and it's tax-free. And now the health savings account has to be combined with a high-deductible insurance plan. So you put money in your account, it's tax-free. You have insurance for catastrophic um, illness. The deductible may be $5,000, it may be 3500 But, you know, when you look at how people spend their money in this country, people spend more money, the average person spends more money on eating out and entertainment and alcohol than they spend on their health care. 
But so health savings accounts are a way to put people back in charge of their health care, empower doctors and, and patients. And um, then when, if you have a health savings account and you, you know, have a sore throat, you go to the doctor, you can use the money in your health savings account mm-hmm. or you can pay for it out of pocket and let the money accumulate tax-free and what, in your account until you have a real problem. What would you say to somebody, Sally, who's an entrepreneur and doesn't work for a company, how would that work for them? Well, they would um, go to Wells Fargo Bank or Charles Schwab and set up a health savings account. They would put their own money into that, into their account, and it would um, every month to a maximum, whether family or individual, um, um, twenty nine. I think it's twenty twenty eight hundred and fifty dollars for an individual, and it's doubled up to about fifty seven hundred dollars for a family. And so you would make your own contributions, and you would have you would pay for your um, high deductible insurance plan, and you would use it. You know, just like you use, you know, your insurance to, um, if your car is in a terrible accident, but you don't use your car insurance to replace the oil in your car or the tires on your car. People would become much more responsible in how they spend their healthcare dollars. All right. So, you're, you mean it's a forced savings account in a way, isn't it? It is. It's very similar to the idea of the 401k plan or the 403b plan. And you know, when we have about um, seven million Americans today have health savings accounts, uh, which are combined with these high deductible insurance um, plans. And you know, HSAs um, have been much more popular than, say, 401ks and 403bs. It took about eight years for there to be any buy-up in this in the, in those plans. But on the healthcare side, we've seen tremendous um, buy-up in health savings accounts and um, combined with high deductible insurance. The thing that worries me is. You know, as the Obama administration, you know, moves down the path to what I see as movement to more and more government and to perhaps a single-payer healthcare system, I worry about what that means for um, people who have health savings accounts and will the government say we're going to, um, um, you know, discontinue them and um, that'll be the end of consumer-driven healthcare because consumer-driven healthcare is a fabulous, fabulous idea and very, very popular and works well and reduces costs. Okay. All right. Let's um, let's take a look at. Um, you talk about some of the mandates that we have. Let's talk about some of you what you think are excessive mandates that we could fix. Well, we have about 1,900 mandates across the country on insurance companies. So, you know, in California, we have about um, 42 mandates on an insurance plan, which includes things like alcohol rehabilitation psychiatric treatment, um, all of these um, hair prostheses, all kinds of things that various groups have lobbied for to be part of health insurance. They add tremendously to the cost of insurance, and in fact, mandates add about between 20 to 50% to the cost of a premium. Now, people should be able to buy um, a plan that if you want a plan with alcohol rehabilitation or, um, you know, having a hair prosthesis or um, psychiatric care, but people should not be forced to have to buy an insurance plan that has those mandates. Mm-hmm. And so if we can reduce them, then more people will buy insurance because people will buy insurance to fit their particular particular needs. And, you know, in California and mo- at all but about one state um, in this nation has mandatory um, car insurance, and yet between 15 to 18% of drivers in this country are driving around without, without car insurance because you can mandate people to do things but they won't necessarily do them. And so if we can open up the insurance market, we will see a lot of these people who are, 
you know, who are not, you know, these, these 18 to 34 year old people who aren't buying insurance. They would buy insurance because they would see the value of it for in the event of a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We have a couple minutes toward break. Um, give us another, uh, piece of good news that uh, Americans can work with. Well, I think, I think, um, I think we need to have Americans get out there and say, you know, Americans are Americans. You know, Canadians and Brits are very, you know, wonderful people who, you know, if their doctor says you have to wait a long time to get an MRI or you can't get a CT scan, Canadians say, well, thank you very much, I'll go home and wait, or I'll come to the United States and pay out of pocket. But as my friend Uvi Reinhardt at Princeton says, and we don't agree on health care reform in general, but he says, you know, Americans are not, they're not patient people. And so we have to let people know that the more government gets involved in their health care, the less, you know, um, access they will have to the type of care they want. There was a, a woman was on the radio in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, just prior to the election, and she was standing at the post office um, in Eau Claire, and there was a long lineup, and people were huffing and puffing like they do and stomping their feet, and there were three people standing around and only one wicket was open. And this lady stepped out of line. She said, you know, everyone here is extremely frustrated. Um, this is what it will be like if the government takes over your health care. You will have long waiting lists. So, and, and, and lack of access to the latest care. So we need to, we need to get people out there and saying, you know, this isn't what we want. We want the market to work in healthcare. And if we, if we change, if we can lobby for changing that tax code, even Max Baucus believes that the tax code needs to be changed so that we can level that playing field. And when McCain was running against Obama, you know, he um, talked about a refundable tax credit, $2,500 for an individual mm-hmm. and 5000 for a family. And um, Obama said to him, Mr. McCain wants to tax your health care. Well, in fact, the refundable tax credit would work if you were making no money or you're making 300000 mm-hmm. Getting that tax credit would, would be beneficial to you regardless of your income level or if, if you didn't make any, any money. So I think there are a lot of things that we can do to push so that Americans continue to have the finest care, and that people will come here, because where are we going to go when if the government takes over our health care? Okay. We right. can't go to Mexico. My guest is Sally Pipes. Her book is "The Top Ten Myths of American Healthcare." How can people get a hold of you, Sally? Um, on our website, the book is available at www.pacificresearch.org, and the book is also available on Amazon.com. All right. Thank you so much. We're going to take a break. My guest again is, is Sally Pipes, and her book is The Top Ten Myths of American Healthcare. Uh, you can give us a call after the break at 866-472-5788. Uh, we'll be right back. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty's has just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Dance is life. Life is dance. Broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Can't stop now. 
Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desk, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. We're here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. We always have such great programs for you. Remember, this program is all about turning your obstacles into opportunities and your problems into solutions, and today we've got a, a really important one. We're talking about health care and the myths of health care and what we can do about it and how we can be proactive as, as citizens. My guest today is Sally Pipes. And her book is The Top Ten Myths of American Healthcare. And uh, Sally Pipes has her own company. And I'm going to read you exactly. Um, she has held, held a variety of positions, both in the, in the private and in the public sector. And she's president and chief executive officer of the Pacific Research Institute. She has written many articles and has been on many radio programs, national radio programs, and she is San Francisco-based. Welcome back, Sally. Thank you, Patricia. Let's Pleasure talk to be about um, prescription drugs, what we can do about that. That's a whole other issue. Right. Well, you know, in America, um, people keep saying that, you know, prescription drugs are too expensive. And, you know, the, the issue is that in this country, um, all of the research and development into new drugs, new biologics, the cancer drugs like the Herceptins, the Rituxans, very expensive drugs, they are all, all the research and development is done in this country. It's not done like it used to be in Switzerland or Germany or France or England or Canada. And it's because those countries have price controls on their pharmaceuticals. And if you're in the research and development business, it costs about $1.3 billion from when you start with an idea of a drug and you bring it to market. And most drugs don't make it into, into market. So the United States is one of the few countries that does not have price controls and why the AstraZenecas, the GlaxoSmithKlines, the Hoffman-LaRoche companies, they all came to the United States to do R&D because, you know, you have to make a profit um, in this business if you're going to stay in business. And as I say, most drugs don't make it. But the mm-hmm. issue is that these drugs are expensive. And if you live in Canada, you may get a drug um, that is, is cheaper than it is here. Well, the issue is it's cheaper in Canada because if it is available, and a lot of the new drugs aren't even available in Canada because the government says they're still, they're still too expensive to put on the formulary. But people um, in other countries are free riding off our research and development. And so, you know, the, idea would, the ideal thing would be for countries like England and France and Germany and Canada to remove um, their price controls on these drugs so that, you know, that we don't have to shoulder all the burden of the expensive um, research and development. But, you know, that hasn't happened yet. So we, we, we have a viable industry. But if the government, the American government, is talking about introducing price controls on pharmaceuticals and particularly as, as part of the Medicare Part D program, and I see that as a real negative in terms of where is the research and development going to take place and how are we going to have access to the latest 
new drugs and biologics. So what do you say to people who can't afford the drugs? Should they buy generics? I mean, what's your advice? Well, of course. I mean, if it, you know, once a drug comes off patent, it's available in generic form. And, you know, generic drugs in this country are cheaper than generic drugs in, 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 in a country like Canada. So mm-hmm. generic drugs are a great, um, great thing for, for, for people because they're, they're cheaper and, and the drug has come off patent and it's, it's being paid for. So generics are a great thing. Also, for every $1 spent on newer pharmaceuticals, Frank Lichtenberg at Columbia has shown that we're saving $7.17 in hospital costs. So it used to be, you know, that you'd have to, you know, go into the hospital, have an anesthetic, be off work, have surgery. There are a lot of drugs now that save you, um, save money. Um, as I said, $1 versus $7.17, but also the, the cost of having to be off work and things. Mm-hmm. So we, we need to, you know, people should take generics if, if a drug is off patent. But for those people, you know, that, that some of the new um, drugs like Tarseva for lung cancer and Sutant for um, kidney cancer, these are very expensive drugs. And if you look at the stimulus bill, um, the government wants to, um, they've, put, they've um, earmarked $1.1 billion for what we call comparative effectiveness research. That's the new buzzword of the day. It's um, patterned after a program in Great Britain called, which is run called NICE, the National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence. And mm. there, government bureaucrats determine which drugs and which treatments and procedures are cost-effective as opposed to medically effective. And so, you know, as a way to um, reduce costs of healthcare in this country, we are now looking, pay, there's going to be $1.1 billion for doing research to see whether how we can control costs by bureaucrats determining what drugs are cost-effective as opposed to medically effective. And, you know, in Great Britain, there was a huge cry because people, the government says that a year of life is worth $55,000. If a drug like Sutant or... Um, Tarseva or Aviston costs $65,000, then this government bureaucracy says that you shouldn't be able to have it because it's not it's co- more costly than, than the value of your life. So this is something we don't want to happen in this country because, you know, we want to keep the market open and keep these drugs. And there are a lot of programs out there where if, if it's not covered by your insurance, you know, the, the Medicare Part D program for seniors, there are a lot of um, um, programs out there for people who are low low income, they're not Medicaid eligible, they're, they're above that level, but there are programs out there so that we can continue to have access to these drugs that are developed here in this country. And the idea would be that we would really like to see countries like Canada remove the price controls because Canadians, when my uncle was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma a few years ago, the head of the cancer agency in Vancouver had never even heard of rituxan as mm-hmm. a new drug for NHL. And so he was told, well, if you want, you can go to the U.S., and get it. So, you know, people in other countries don't often have access to the drugs that we have access to, but we yeah. want to keep this industry alive and well because it allows us to live longer and healthier lives. All right. So we're going to have time now for closing thoughts. Just what you, what you want to leave our listeners with that you feel is a very hopeful message. Right. Well, I think the, the one thing, the one of my myths is that socialized healthcare systems such as exist in Canada and Europe are, are more cost efficient are more um, are more um, efficient and cheaper, and the question is they aren't. So I want people to get out there and say, we want to keep the market in healthcare alive and well, and we want to have competition. We want to put doctors and patients back in charge. We want to push for changing that tax code so that people that are in the individual market can get insurance with pre-tax dollars, and we want to beef up 
the individual side of the healthcare market so there's more competition so that people don't lose their health insurance when they lose their job because if it's not portable um, and you can't take it with you, then, you know, particularly if you've been sick or you're pregnant or whatever, it's a difficult thing. So we want to encourage portability. We want to encourage the individual side. We want to expand tax breaks for health savings accounts so that people can, I mean, a health savings account isn't for everyone, but it's a great um, vehicle for younger people to build up money in their account to use to use that money um, as they get older. And, and that's when, you know, people need to use health care. Don't you think? It's teaching people how to save. I it think is, that's and, a very and to be responsible piece. and to take responsibility for their health and their life. Yeah, very much so. All right, and again, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, www.pacificresearch.org for the top ten myths of American healthcare, a citizen's guide, and other op-eds and things that I've written, or order the book on Amazon.com, um, and you can get it quickly and read about the, the top ten myths and the solutions to the problems facing our healthcare system. But we want to keep, we want to encourage the market-based side of healthcare, not take us down the path to government controlling our healthcare, because Americans don't want to wait for healthcare. That's exactly right. And can people write to you specifically or, or through the website? Oh, um, well, they can email me at spipes at pacificresearch.org. Uh, S-Pipes at PacificResearch.org for organization. Okay. That would be great because there may be people listening to this who would like to have like to write discussion. to you. Yes. And we really appreciate that. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the program, Sally, and, and giving us such great information. And, you know, it, it's, it's not all negative. I mean, there's some very positive things. And I think the main thing that you really talked about was the, the, uh, the health care savings account. Right. Exactly. No, we want to keep that alive and well. All right. Okay, and also generic drugs is another generic piece. Drugs, absolutely, yeah. There's, uh, you know, um, when a drug is off patent, but we want to keep the pipeline open for new innovations in treatments and technologies um, for because they reduce healthcare costs as well. All right. All right. Thank you. Stay on the line. Thank you so much for a great interview. Thank you. All right. My guest today has been Sally Pipes, and she's the author of the Top Ten Myths of American Healthcare: A Citizen's Guide. And again, um, the website Sally again is. PacificResearch.org. PacificResearch.org. Yes. Okay. All right, folks. And remember, each week, I'd love to hear from you uh, at Patricia at RaskinResources.com or Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. And write me with your comments and your questions. I'd love to have you on my email list. I'll put you right on. And I have a website and I have the newsletter and blogs and certainly would love to be in touch with you. Um, This is a wonderful program. I've been doing this seven years, one of the first people on Voice America and believe in the power of the Internet. So as I say at the end of each show, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next week, I'm Patricia Raskin for Positive Living. Have a great Monday and a great week.
listening to Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's book, Pathfindings, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com. And tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Positive Living right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Thank you.